Amen. There's a, there's a phrase in Ephesians, Robert, that says, Let him that stole steal no more. Instead, let him work with his hands that he may have to give to those who are in need. So, that's a teaching from the book of Ephesians, and we're going to get to a lot of those practical things. Bob Moore, thank you for your stellar service through the holidays. I know you tried to go celebrate here and there, but Bob actually had three funerals, and uh, two of them he was uh, participating in. Max Denstel, one of our longtime deacons, and a faithful servant of the Lord here in New Orleans for many years, passed away, leaving his wife, Dorothy, behind. And then Irene Hill, who was one of our oldest active members here, uh, passed away as well. And Norman is now living by himself. Well, actually, his granddaughter's moving in with him. So we want to pray for Norman and Dorothy as they have lost their spouses of many years. I know the Hills were married for 68 years. And I don't know, Dorothy and Max must have been 62, 61 years, yeah. So, thank you anyway. And John Palmer and Anna took off. Where are you, John and Anna? And while I was in Texas having a grandson over there, while they were with 45 kids in Orlando, Florida, seeking to do God's work, inspire people, and, and have fun together. And we appreciate you all, the Palmers. So that also was taking place over the holidays. Now, I am going to be in the book of Ephesians. Some people think it is the greatest book in the Bible. And we got our lights up so you can pick up the Bible in front of you if you didn't bring yours and flip over to the book of Ephesians and kind of peruse through it a little bit while I'm I'm talking to you about this wonderful book. I wanted to go to the book of Ephesians because God's care has so been on my heart. How He wonderfully cares for me. In fact, we felt the care of God so powerfully as Bennett Allen came into the world healthy and strong and Sally doing great. And we thought, this is truly a blessing, a moment of thanksgiving. And Janet and I joined hands with Sally and Josh with little Bennett right there in the middle and prayed and thanked God for a gift from heaven, which all good things are. They come down from above, from the Father of lights, the Scripture says, in whom there is no shadow of turning. He is a good and gracious God. And we are recipients of His care this very day. And the book of Ephesians has been variously styled and divided up, but everybody recognizes that in the book of Ephesians you have theology and ethics, you have being and doing, you have belief and behavior. And everybody realizes that the last part of the book is heavy on that behavior, on the practical aspects of Christian living, although it's not without its theology. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, when you're talking about marriage and husbands and wives, he says, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might present to himself a spotless and glorious bride. Well, that's theology in the middle of ethics, and you really can't separate belief 
and behavior, even in the first three chapters, which when you read, you'll know they're heavy on belief, on what we believe and understand God has done for us. And yet, in Ephesians chapter 2, Tim Tebow displayed those verses on his cheeks. Did you see him? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Do you know those? Same with me. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I've known those verses by heart since I was seven years old, and Dad had us memorize most of the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. And so even though you're reading great theology about what God has delivered unto you in Christ in those first three chapters, you have this jewel in chapter 2. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So even in the belief section of the book of Ephesians, you have this powerful challenge to be out there being God's workmanship in your world. So the two are laced together. And brothers and sisters, we discover in the book of Ephesians, along with all the rest of the Bible, that you really cannot separate what you believe and how you act. It's always been a heresy in the church to try to do so, to try to say it doesn't matter how I behave, how I act, what my body does. It's all about my pure, pure belief in Jesus. That's, that's it, what it's all about. Nah, You be careful. You're going to turn into a heretic, brother, sister, trying to separate belief and behavior. They really go together. We had to pull the well. I hated to do it, but we had to do it. It's a water well. You've got to have water, right? We're out in the middle of the country. When you get to the sticks, you've got to go another 10 miles to get where we were. All right? And the well's 330 feet deep. And for some reason, it wasn't working right. And Uncle Dale said, it's probably a short. You know, every time that well comes on down there in the bottom, it's a submergible pump. It twists that, that pipe and, that, and it rubs that wire that goes 330 feet all the way to the bottom of the well. And pretty soon it gets a short in it. So the pump wouldn't work, and we had to pull it. And sure enough, we found the bare spot, copper showing, that was keeping that pump from working. And Uncle Dale was right. You don't have to kill both sides of the 220, just one side. And the pump won't work anymore, and that's true in your life. You don't have to kill both sides. Be orthodox in your belief and a heretic in your behavior, and you kill the pump. They go together. God's not going to let you off the hook on either side. The Christian life doesn't work without understanding God's care for you and forwarding God's care to others in your behavior. Both are essential to the working of the Christian life. And that's what God is up to in us. He has chosen to deliver His care in abundance unto us so that He might pour it out through us to a world that needs Him. So that's how we're going to approach the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to divide it into three sections. And this first part is God's care received. 
And I've got four more messages that I'm going to preach from chapters 1 and 2. Look, you're going to love the book of Ephesians. If you haven't been in it in a while, I want you to get it like I've been doing and read through it again and again and listen to it. You're going to love this book. It is packed full of wonderful things. I just want to give you the introduction today, just the greeting that Paul does in the very first verses here. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The introduction is broad and grand. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This man knows who he is and what he's up to in the world. And I would suggest to you that in order to get the pump going, you need to identify your vocation. All right? That's the first main point. Identify your vocation. The Apostle Paul was not meandering around on the face of the planet. He knew that he was God's special agent on the planet, an apostle, by the will of God, identifying himself in God's will. That you have a vocation that gets you up in the morning, that charges you up, that sends you out into your world. I believe that every single follower of Jesus has a calling. That's what a vocation is. It's built from the Latin word voca. And it is your calling. Every single believer has the calling to represent Christ in the world. That's your calling. It's your main calling. You may have a profession. You may have the vocation of law or medicine or education. There are other things that we are called to do, but in that calling, we are called to represent Christ, and the calling to represent Christ is overall. It is the umbrella calling of your life. It doesn't run parallel to any other calling. It permeates every other calling, and every other calling of your life is under this great vocation of yours, which is being God's agent in your world. Tell you what, to know that God has called you to represent Him in your world, there is a focus and energy and power in that that was evident in the life of the Apostle Paul and evident in the life of the early church, and you need it in your life to identify your vocation. That happened to me when I was a boy. Somehow God worked into my heart the sense that I want my life to count for Jesus. And I wrote a song about it. And I felt that calling all my life. I want my life to count for Jesus. But it's, it's not just for preachers. It's, it's for everybody. It's the truth of the book of Ephesians. Your life is in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you don't have real life. God delivers His life in Christ. And to make that part of your self-identity, 
that I am representing Christ in my world. Paul is an apostle. He says later on, God gives gifts to the church, and he names four of them, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and all of them are representing Christ in their world, working in the ministry of Christ in his church, just as you do in all the various ways God has gifted you. All right, get your calling. Identify your calling, your invocation, and recognize your separation. There's a word here that Paul uses in the first part of every one of his letters. To all the what? Saints at Ephesus. The earliest copies we have of the book of Ephesians don't have Ephesus in them. It's almost like there's a blank there. And when you read through the letter, you see it's kind of a more generic letter than, say, Philippians or some of the other letters of the Apostle Paul. And some people think that Paul wrote it not only to go to Ephesus, but maybe to Laodicea and other places, and they just put the place name in, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Laodicea. I remember getting impressed upon me as a boy what a saint was. I knew that I was a saint, even when I was 10, 11 years old a saint in Christ Jesus. And I was walking through the playground with a fellow who was a friend of mine, and all these guys were putting pressure on me to do something I knew was wrong. Now, that maybe never happened to you when you were in the playground, but it was going on in me, all right? And I told him I just wasn't going to do it. And this fellow walked away from me, walking along the playground, and he turned to me and he said, David, you're not a saint. You're not a saint. I thought to myself, I didn't say to him. I didn't know what to say to him. His idea of a saint was something different than my idea, okay? In the Bible, everybody who believes in Jesus is a saint. I got a Christmas present to St. David and St. Janet from St. Joyce. All right? Thank you, Joyce Harrington. <laughs> I loved it. Hey, it's true. Saying you're a saint, that doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're separated. It comes from the word holy. The instruments around the altar were holy because they were separated for sacred purposes. Now, separation is a double-edged sword. I know that. When the Bible talks about you're in the world but not of the world, when it talks about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him because everything that's in the world, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Spirit, it's of the world. So there's a separation from that happens if you're a saint. You're separated from something, and we feel that sometimes. We don't want that to happen sometimes. We're reluctant to be separated and different from our peer group. It disturbs us. We feel left out. We feel a little bit alienated. In fact, the Apostle Peter later says that we as believers in the Lord Jesus are strangers and aliens in the world. You read that in the Scripture, and you ought to know what it feels like to be an alien. Somebody who's in a land that's really not yours. Because you're separated. You're a saint. Once Jesus is in your heart, you're separated from. 
Paul later on in this epistle talks about the thinking of the world. And he tells believers, don't slip back into that old way of thinking. They don't know anything about life back then. You remember that old way that you inherited from your forefathers? That's not how to live. We find out how to live in Christ. So we are separated from sometimes our parents, our culture, our traditions when Jesus saves us and we feel that separation. There are times when we resent the separation. And we wish that we could just be like everybody else. But we can't. Because our vocation, our calling, is representing Christ in the world. And He has drawn us out of the world. But the separation is double-edged, I said. It is from something and it is to something. And the two is illustrated by this table here. Okay? Paul says later on, you are part of God's household. And this is the table in the house. And you got around the family table today because you've been separated unto God. You haven't been just separated from the things that tear you down and tear you up and, and kill the love, joy, and peace in your life. You're separated from some things in this world, but you're separated to the God who loves you and saves you and makes you His own. And that's what coming to this table is all about. You're separated unto God. You are God's family. You are God's children. What a wonder it is, John says, that we should be called the children of God. What a wonder. What an amazing thing. And that's your sainthood. You're separated from and you're separated to. Now, we get a little bit confused here because we have saints in New Orleans. and They're going to play today, okay? And Heath Evans, one of the saints, the fullback, is going to speak to us and give a testimony next week at this hour. So don't you miss that, all right? We're going to have one of those football saints come and talk to us next week. But the real saints are the people who have trusted Jesus as Savior, who know Him as Lord, whose self-identity is the calling God has given them, and who recognize they may be in this world, but because of Jesus, they're no longer of this world. They are children of the Father in heaven. we got to get a hold on that. That makes life different. That fills life with power. Recognize your separation and embrace your sanctification. Okay, I'm going to use a big word there, the word sanctify. It's also built from that word holy. And I'm using it because of verse 2 where Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's how the King James Version translates that second one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Sometimes we think that in this greeting he's just throwing out a couple of nice words. Here, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all the saints faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you. Now, he is pointing to now something that God is delivering to them. It comes by special delivery. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you in this new year. Wouldn't 2010 be a year if you could live in grace and peace? I don't know how many times I've seen somebody shaking their head and saying, I just wish I could have a little peace. I wish I could have a little peace. Life gets frantic 
on us. And when Paul the Apostle says grace and peace to you, he is pointing to what God is up to in their lives as the saints at Ephesus and all the other saints in all the other places. God is in a process of moving us from where we are to where He wants us, and that's the process of sanctification. And sanctification is God's practical dimension to separating you unto Himself in language, in thinking, in behavior, in all aspects of your life. He is changing you from glory to glory into the image of His Son. He's making you more like Himself. You ought to be growing in godliness. In fact, some people would title the fourth chapter of this letter to be mature. It's about maturing. It's about growing up. The word in the Greek for mature is also the word that we use for perfect. It's moving toward perfection. Now, you're not going to achieve perfection in this life, all right? But you can achieve a lot of wonderful things God is doing in you as you grow in Him. And right now, this very moment, God is sending His grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. It's an affirmation. It's a statement of the reality that God's delivering to your life. God is delivering His grace to you. What's that mean? If I can live in God's grace today, I will escape self-condemnation, self-pity, and self-destructive behaviors because I know God's grace in the here and now. We beat ourselves up all the time when if we lived in God's grace, we could live boldly. We could live powerfully. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins so you didn't have to live under the cloud of guilt anymore. You know who the accuser is, don't you? Who's the accuser of the brethren? That's the devil. The devil's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you of not being good enough for God, not being good enough to go to church, not being good enough to be a Christian. He's the one who accuses you. He points his old bony finger at you, and he says, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And if you believe him, you're not living in God's grace. Because if you've received Jesus as Savior, he died on the cross to wash away your sin, and you're living in a flood of grace every day. Grace is not something you earn. You understand that, right? It's not, you can't earn God's grace. Grace is, by definition, the unearned favor of God. You can't earn it. Can I add a footnote here? Don't make people earn grace from you. God gave His grace free to you. You give it free to others. Don't make other people live under your condemnation of them. God's not making you live under condemnation. You have passed from death into life. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why should you make somebody always feel condemned when God has liberated you so powerfully with His grace? Don't make your children live under condemnation, nor your spouse, nor the people you are supposed to love. You give to them freely the grace God has given to you.
Grace to you. Grace to live in. Grace to distribute. Grace to experience in the fullness of God's forgiveness. And grace to pass on to other people at the table. God's beautiful grace. A great place to live. Now, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, the King James says they announced peace on earth, goodwill to men. The NIV says, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And favor is the grace word. Goodwill is the grace word, okay? Peace comes with grace. I think that's why he mentions it first. If you can live in God's grace, you can experience his peace. The storm in your soul will subside once you know that under the sovereign Lord who runs it all, you are the recipient of his love, his care, and his provision for you. And this could be a year of peace in your life, in your heart, in your family. If you will receive God's grace and his full forgiveness and pass it on to others, say, it's a pretty good New Year's resolution. It'll resolve a lot of things, too. You won't just be resolving something to do. Grace and peace will resolve some things in you. Lord, this year, let me live in your grace and pass it freely on to others, even the ones that don't deserve it. And let me live in your peace as a product of that grace in me. You know where peace begins? The apostle says it in this letter. We're going to spend some time looking at it later on. Peace begins in what Jesus did on the cross for you. If you think your life is broken and turbulent and full of destruction and chaos and death, then look at this table. These elements are broken body and spilt blood. That's what's on the table, represented by the bread and the cup. It's a mess. But Jesus, through his broken body and spilt blood, bought for us peace with God and peace with one another. He himself is our peace, who has broken down every dividing wall in his own body on the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your peace that passes understanding. Give us your grace and peace this year, delivered especially to our homes and our hearts. 
Lord, I pray for those who do not have peace with God because they've never trusted Jesus as Savior. By your Holy Spirit, draw them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.